0: Hello, story lovers. I'm Laurel McCarg, and you're listening to Alligator Preserves. In today's episode, I'm going to introduce you to a man I met many, many years ago at Cookies with Altitude downtown in Leadville. His name is Charles Joseph Anton Boast, and he's going to be 85 years old on August 23rd. I visited with Chuck five months ago back in March and recorded his memories. Stay tuned, because you're going to want to hear this episode. Welcome to Alligator Preserves, a weekly podcast about revealing yourself through storytelling, story reading, and story writing, but probably not story arithmetic, because that's not a thing. You just might surprise yourself with the secrets you'll uncover.
1: I was born here in Lettville in August the twenty-third, nineteen thirty-three. I was brought into the world by a midwife, not in a hospital, in a home. There was, there was midwives, quite a few. Was Mid- it? This home? Was it this no. House? It was at my grandma's home, 700 Elm Street, 700 that big Street. big saloon down there. Oh. That rich. was my grandfather's. Really? Yeah. My birth certificate says that I'm Charles Joseph Anton Bost, A-N-T-O-N. But the name has been changed. When my grandfather immigrated from... Uh, Slovenia. Came here in about 1984, I believe it was. He raised five brothers and two two daughters.
0: We laughed about the century slip-up, the 1984 comment, before talking about how his grandfather worked in the mine and got a saloon, and he explained his grandfather's original name being changed because at graduation, the principal couldn't pronounce the last name of Chuck's youngest aunt, Albina, in 1928.
1: Bostyanchich. That was the name. The principal or the people putting out the diplomas could not pronounce her last name. So on the following Monday, my grandfather went up to the courthouse and he changed the name to boast. <laughs> the original name is B O S T Y A N C I C and over each C is a little click click. click. Accent. Yeah.
0: He explained quite simply why he stayed with his
1: grandparents. Well, we didn't ha- we didn't have a home yet.
0: After working at Climax Mine for quite a while his father bought their home where he and his wife lived with their three children, Charles, we call him Chuck, his younger brother, Rudolf Lewis, and his sister, Charlene Jean. When we're interrupted by the phone, I hear him speaking with a friend of his, and he's speaking in Slovenian.
1: His name is Donald Kershin. He has that beautiful home out there by the fish hatchery. He's a Leadville native. He's only two years younger than me. I'd known him in school and most of my life. So
0: he's like, he's your best
1: friend. He is one of my best friends.
0: He talked about what life was like here in Leadville during his first 18 years before he joined the military service. Well,
1: while I was growing up, it was a rip roaring mining camp. I can remember on the East side of Leadville, there was the uh, Newmont Mining Company, Heckler Mining Company, A.S.N.R Mining Company, and there possibly was another one. And of course, we had the big, uh, Sarco uh, smelter that took all the ores from all these people. Then there was a lot of little leasers that would just go up and. Stake a claim and work it and have their ore shipped and have a, the smelter assay it and pay them if it was worth anything.
0: When asked what he thought of the miners in town when he was a child, this is what he
1: recalled There was a rough, rough, fighting, and drinking and bunch of people, the miners, because they worked hard and they didn't know if next day would be their last day on earth, because it was very dangerous in those days. They probably used less timber. They just went in and used picket shovel, little push carts to bring the ore out. It was a rough, dirty job, but there probably was, uh, oh, there was 60,000 people here when I was growing up. And 90% of them all worked in the mines.
0: And did he remember his first paid job?
1: I sure do. First job I ever had was, I was probably uh, 11 or 12 years old. And a friend of mine, our neighbors, which were real good friends, the field family, English people, was good friends with Elsie Johnson's Flower Shop. And Elsie's Flower Shop is that little house that sits below the Elks and the lawyer's office. And I started working there, bringing in the coal and wood. The flowers would come in big boxes. i unload those and put them in big uh, 20-gallon buckets and... I would be the delivery boy, too. Take the flowers up to the mortuary and any place else. Christmas and Easter, birthdays. Did you, did you well, walk? Did you, I was all walk. All I, walking. Then I told my father, I said, I need a bicycle. He says, when you have saved enough of your money, we'll find a good bicycle. So that's how that came about. My first one I bought... I thought he'd buy me one, but he didn't. Oh. So that's how I got my first bike. And I was all over this town. Anywhere there needed to be flowers delivered.
0: I couldn't imagine he'd ride his bike during the winter months here in Leadville.
1: No, I walked.
0: <laughs> okay. Any, any sled? Did you
1: no, any sled? no. No, it was easier to walk. Then I worked for... Elsie Johnson for probably two, two and a half years. Then I got a job at the Davis Drug Company. There was a Davis Drug Company. It was right on the corner of 6th and Harrison, right up here. And I would bring in the coal and wood and deliver the whatever delivery, what they would call in for, medicine or whatever,
0: He rarely got any tips for his good service, but did he remember his pay?
1: I don't rightly know how much Elsie Johnson paid me, but it was pretty good for a young feller. The Davis Drug, I think I got 25 cents a delivery. That was it. And then, of course, there was a little added on when I would bring up the coal and wood from the basement just before winter, there probably was, uh, on the side street, there was a, a, a basement lake. And there was probably uh, three, four ton of lump coal, that's big lumps, dumped into that basement. Then I would go down with six coal buckets, bring them up the stairs, and put them in a little corner there, all full of coal and do my deliveries. Then about... uh, I was a junior in my junior year in high school, and the Odd Fellows was looking for a person to take care of the cemetery during the uh, summer. Mm -hmm. So I went up and applied, and they gave me the job. (laughs) And really... This is something. That May, because Memorial Day is May 30th, somewhere in there. Yeah. So I went out two days before Memorial Day, had it all raked up nice and clean. I put all the sprinklers out. The night before Memorial Day, it snowed and got cold. I think we had a little over, about 18 inches of snow.
0: Oh, my.
1: And I had all the sprinklers going.
0: Oh.
1: And it went out, and it was beautiful because there was all these beautiful icicles hanging off all the trees that were... There was a lot of trees in the cemetery lot. Oh, it must
0: have been... It was pretty.
1: A fairyland. Fairyland is a good, good word for it, yeah
0: he recalled one of his most difficult delivery situations.
1: One that sticks in my mind for many, many years was this lady and her two children. They lived up at a 602 block of East 2nd. And I would have to go up there maybe twice a week. And I was quite a chore walking up there. That's six, six blocks. hmm and that was one of the always stuck in my name and the name was Hutchinson that stuck in my mind yeah well I think the two they had two small children and I think why uh I made so many deliveries is because uh, I don't think they were in real good health and these were medications for the two younger ones I think
0: And at 18, briefly, he was able to work up at Climax Mine on the outside.
1: Climax still had all the homes, the boarding house, the apartments, and there was lawns and everything. So there was a little crew that took care of the lawns and raking and little odds and ends for the people's homes. Then I got my call to join the service.
0: He talked about how the homes up in climax, up at the mine, were moved to town to the town of Leadville in 1962.
1: It is amazing how they done that. How did they they do done it? that between they would schedule it between the guys going to work on day shift. The guys going to work on swing shift is 3:30, and I don't believe they moved them at midnight or during the night. Of course, they could have. I don't remember ever hearing that. Every home, the boarding, beautiful boarding home, house that hold, I think there was about 100 100 guys, single guys, living in the boarding house. I do believe it probably was a tax setup. I do believe that.
0: I'm curious about Chuck's parents.
1: Of course, my father, he was... uh, very handy man. He was real good on uh, operating big heavy equipment. He operated probably the largest crane around here for Climax. It was called a stiff leg. Mm-hmm. It had a big boom on it. And in fact, he was so darn good, he would tell guys go out and put if they had an egg in their lunchbox. He says, you go out there at the very end, out there, and put that egg or that on this certain spot. He always had the spot picked out. And he would maneuver his boom around. Then he dropped the hook and cable down. And he would just barely touch the egg without cracking it. <laughs> he used to tell stories. <laughs> yeah.
0: While his grandparents were Slovenian, I wondered where his father was born.
1: I believe my grandpa was working in a mine at Cripple Creek when a couple of the children were born there Till they moved here. Now, my mother is... Uh, my grandmother and grandfather on my mother's side, they are from uh, Tyrol, Austria. So my mom and dad, are pretty close to each other. They're parents. Mm-hmm. And my grandmother on my mother's side... Came here in about the same time, her and her husband. And he got kind of, from working in the mines, he got crippled. And all he could do was sit in a chair. So it was up to my poor grandma to raise one son and three girls. And my mother's name was Olga Stella Formolo. Her other sister was Elizabeth or Isabel Formolo. The oldest sister was uh, Esther Formolo. They all married different guys, of course. Uh, mm-hmm. The oldest girl married a fellow by the name of Pete Martelli. Uh, the second, the middle girl, Isabel, married a Slovenian by the name of Adolf Karoshets. Then my mom married my dad, Charles Mark. Most.
0: And what was Chuck's mother like?
1: Very good housekeeper. Mm -hmm. Very good cook. We ate very good dinners, meals. She just, uh, she loved, and she was a hell of a good uh, housekeeper. She just knew how to take care of a family. The three of us. She was very good. She was really warm-hearted, very huggy.
0: I can tell that from knowing you.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, she was very, just a wonderful person, and I believe uh, she passed on at the age of 91. My father, he contacted, senility no, Alzheimer's Alzheimer's (laughs) yeah, so I I was the, my sister and brother had already, gone on their way of life. I got married, were having children, so I was uh, I wasn't getting married. I mean, I wasn't married, so I stayed and took care of them here.
0: It really broke Chuck's heart when the family doctor convinced him to move his father into the local hospital
1: here. He was there four years, and I used to go up twice a day, morning and about three o'clock every day to see him, but he didn't know I was there, cause. He just laid there in another world. You know, it it sure don't seem to be the way to to live. It's no good.
0: I got real nosy then and asked him about girlfriends.
1: Oh, yes, I had three or four girlfriends. One was was, she was a telephone operator. I met her in San Diego. And before I was getting shipped out, we talked about marriage. But we didn't. So when I was overseas, I got this letter. She had been killed in a car accident. So I didn't do any. Being in the military, I didn't date nobody. Because you don't date them foreigners.
0: <laughs> <sighs>
1: so when I got discharged and got home, there was a lady I dated for a while. But she wanted me to quit my job at Climax and move up to Oregon, and I said, no, I don't want that. So she said, oh, well, um, that's where I'm going. So she went, and then after that, I just kind of went on my own. I got interested in my work and done quite well up there at the Climax Mine. Got to be a relief shifter for about 12 years. and I, I loved the outdoors. I used to hunt and fish. Whenever I could, we would travel to the San Luis Valley and hunt uh, pheasants. We would go rabbit hunting down here around the Twin Lakes area. And of course, we hunted elk and around there too. We would go to all these high lakes here. We've got millions of high lakes in this country. All the way from Holy Cross Country, all the way down to... Uh, I would say to uh, granite, Mm -hmm. lots of nice high lakes. You hike up to them, you pack a sleeping bag and your canned goods and things of that nature so you could stay overnight.
0: And then it's time for some grade school memories. And I realize that I'm jumping around with Chuck an awful lot during this interview, going back and forth and one thing leads to another, but oh well.
1: Well, I went to a Catholic school run by the Sisters of Charity yeah it was right up to our niece ninth they made us study real good good we got a hell of a good in education we well, we gra- got it, graduated out of the St. Mary's School and went into the high school up here where the mining mu- museum is uh, first year in there ninth grade ah oh, you're from Saint Mary's School. You're well-educated mm-hmm. we were. So the, I would say uh, those years, uh, I really enjoyed the nuns teaching us, and I learned, learned real good. I think that was a good high point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the nuns, Sisters of Charity, wonderful people.
0: Knowing how my own parents always felt about their Catholicism and their religious background, I asked if he ever questioned his religious training or his background. I pretty much knew the answer, though.
1: No doubts in my mind. No. No, not not one bit. Served as an altar boy, uh, as an usher for... I started ushering in 1965, and I just told him two years ago, I just couldn't hack it anymore. That's how long I ushered in the...
0: That's a long time.
1: <laughs> yes, <laughs> it was. How did he
0: learn to speak Slovenian? See, I do jump around a lot.
1: Just, just being problem. around my grandparents, because neither one could speak English. My, gr- my dad would take me down there, and I would be pretty young, nine, ten, and you pick it up. You know, my grandma would call me Young Charlie and the way she she, she would get some of her food, she would cut the labels off with the cans and say, Young Charlie, you go up to Zeit's store there and you get these for me. I say, okay, Grandma. (laughs) That's a pretty good
0: way (laughs) of doing it, right? Yeah. Because you were little, you just had
1: to match the picture. Yeah, right. Yeah, and I go up and get it. Bring it home to her.
0: He told me about his best friend growing up, Robert Savorn, another Slovenian, and asked what they did for fun back in the day. Before I tell you what fun things teens did back in the day in Leadville, I hope you're enjoying this episode with Chuck Boast, and I hope you'll consider becoming my patron someday. I'm a one-person operation. Your contribution would be most appreciated. Go to patreon.com slash preserves and see how you can support my work. And now, stay tuned for more memories of Leadville days gone by.
1: We skied a lot. Played fast-pitch softball, basketball. i done all of that. Mm-hmm. Used to ski on Cooper Hill. And how Cooper Hill got to be was... That was the training ski at hill for the 10th Mountain Division. And well, toward the end of the war they, I don't know if they sold it or they gave it to the Lake County. But then that's where us kids learned how to ski was, Cooper Hill. Of course then, every school has a basketball team. Mm -hmm. I was pretty good at height. So I played three years basketball, uh, sophomore, junior, and senior. And skied, and hunted, and fished.
0: I wondered if he ever got into trouble. He couldn't always have been a good boy, or not have
1: any vices, could he? No, not a, not a, not one time. You're a real altar boy. Yes.
0: <laughs> You've been an altar boy all your life.
1: Uh, most pretty of much. it. Pretty much. Pretty much, so. Yeah, yeah. I used to. S- I used to smoke, and I don't know, one day uh, something, I was working up at the mine there, and I don't know if the cigarette, I may have told me uh, it's possible that if I smoked in there, it would cause an, uh, a fire or something. So in uh, 1975, I quit smoking. I'm not much of a liquor, a hard liquor, The smell of the cork, forget it. I'm not much of a beer drinker. Two cans of beer, I've had it up to here. Uh But I drink a lot of wine. I'm a wine drinker. Red or white? White. No, red. Red. Cabernet Sauvignon. Okay. My grandpa made homemade wine. Okay. So that's what I used to see.
0: You probably drank it growing up. Growing it up.
1: Younger, too. Uh, One time. I was probably seven. I had, still have my little tricycle and I was driving it around in the saloon area. My grandfather gave me a, a shot glass of wine that they had just made. Mm-hmm. And boy, I drank that and I was I was really tearing up that saloon. He said, No more no more wine for you, little Charlie
0: Chuck reminds me of my own father on many levels. His Catholicism, the, the way he quit smoking. He's the oldest brother of two younger siblings, a brother and a sister, same as my dad. So I asked about what his relationship was with
1: his siblings. I used to kind of look out, see if if they were okay, uh, bring them some candy. When I worked at the drugstore, Sometime three of us would go up to the ice cream parlor and have uh, some ice cream, Mm -hmm. and we played together. The brother and I, uh, the sister is uh, probably six years younger, so uh, we were getting more grown up when she was still fairly young, I guess you would say, Mm -hmm. and things changed different.
0: It's a big difference between 10 and 16. Yes,
1: (laughs) yes, that's very true. But we were real close, very close.
0: When he knew he was going to be drafted into the Army, a buddy of his in the National Guard said that they should join the Navy. And although his buddy stayed in the Navy...
1: And I got transferred to the 1st Marine Division. (laughs) So much for the Navy, for me. I was in uh, from 1952 to 1956. Last two and a half years were Korea. Landing force units. There was four landing craft, little you know landing craft ships, and you could either have it LST, LSM, or LSU, landing ship utility, landing ship men, landing ship tank. Well, we were indoctrinated to use to use all three. So next thing we know, we were headed up to uh, China, Formosa. Chiang Kai-shek was getting run out of China, and he got stuck on the little island of Kumo and Matsu Island. 2,500 of his, his military, their families, and children. And we took them off that island under... Real heavy uh, artillery from the coast. The Chinese were wanting to kill him, but you, uh, you
0: basically rescued them off the island. We
1: rescued. We took him over to uh, Taiwan, Formosa. We lost two of our LSTs and four men. I remember from uh, shore bombardment artillery barrage. artillery barrages. Yeah, they wanted to kill him. Because he was the head of China for a long time.
0: I asked then what he wanted people to know about him. You know, kind of an out-of-sequence, probably end-of-interview type question, but I asked it then anyway. And he and he said, quote, Just take me as I am. I'm just an old boy from the mountains that worked in the mine. So I asked if he was ever afraid.
1: Oh, yes. In two and a half years in Korea was no... Uh, not a good place to be. Terrible. Of course, at that time, there was the first time the choppers, what we knew was a helicopter, I'd never seen one before, used to bring in food and ammo. And it was always so cold and snowy, and our c and k rations they were they were frozen. Oh. But in one of the big boxes, always had those little cans of sterno. Mm-hmm. That's how we ate. And one day, I was, we were didn't have no, nothing to eat. And Corman uh, somehow or another got a hold of a couple bags of rice. And he cooked them up. And I got a little bowlful, full and uh, looked around. And, hey, Corman, there's white bugs in my rice. Shut up, boast, and eat it. It's protein. I said, okay. And I did.
0: They were cooked, though,
1: right? They were. Yeah, they were cooked.
0: My dad used to tell me about the cigarettes, Lucky Strikes, that were in the sea rations back then. So I asked Chuck what he remembered about sea rations
1: Little packages of Chesterfield or Lucky Strike or Camel. Little cans of, they told us it was Argentine beef but I would swear it was horse meat. Stringy and coarse. It wasn't beef. Mm.
0: (laughs) But back to the idea of being frightened, were there ever any times he thought he wouldn't make it home?
1: Yes, uh, I was uh, a loader on a six-inch gun. That's why my nose and around here is kind of pitted and from the, uh, there's a name that was on the tip of my tongue. And that would hit me a little bit sometime. That's why I got such a funny-looking nose.
0: I never noticed.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness.
0: At midnight tonight, you're going to wake up. But
1: <laughs> I'll call you and tell you. <laughs>
0: call me and tell me. Leave a message. <laughs> I'll, I'll turn my ringer off for sure. <laughs> when he returned from the war, he took the GI Bill for hydrology, pneumatics, and mechanics. He retired from the mine after working there for 34 years and has a pretty good retirement.
1: Yeah. Emergency medical alert. Uh, you've been recommended for a, one of those things, you know, to put around. Oh, you. oh, okay. You probably get that call too. Not yet. Well <laughs> I get one of those at least three times a week.
0: They, or you, they or try to scam people. They do.
1: And or they'll say, a f- good friend of yours has recommended you. Mm. No, no, I don't think so. Yeah, I don't think so. No. <laughs> uh, uh-uh. He
0: knows better than to be suckered into any phone scam, so just lay off, you scammers out there. We talked about skiing again, and he shared his favorite cross-country location.
1: Now, the best trail being born and raised here and know the country is the trails behind the fish hatchery okay. up in there. Boy, right. you're just engulfed in timber and just beautiful.
0: I surprised him by telling him that I had hunted in that area.
1: I'll be darned. There's nothing like elk meat. I remember... Two, three lucky seasons that my two uncles, my dad, brother, he was a little younger than me. I think we got three elk. Whoa. We had it all cut up. And we even had elk for Thanksgiving. We liked it so well. Boy, I don't mean meet many women that can talk hunting, but here I found one. You might go out two, three days from sunup to sundown. It's freezing cold in the Colder than a. Which is. I was going to say that. (laughs) You're an old military, which is tit, a whore lady's heart, all that crap. But, anyways, I wonder if I'm going to see or get anything. Then, all of of a sudden, maybe within a couple hours, here you see him, and you're in the right spot. You maneuver to where you get a good, clean shot. And it's over. But it's taken you two, three days to get there. Yeah, that's amazing. I didn't know you hunted. Yeah.
0: I wondered if he had any concerns for today's younger generations. It's a question I had asked my father a long time ago, too.
1: I'm quite concerned about this upper generation. They're not friendly. Uh, All they know is uh, this technology stuff there. Either their ears are plugged with something they're watching in front of them. Uh, cannot carry on a conversation. You say hello to one, they'll, he's still looking at his, what do they call him, things?
0: iPad or iPad. iPhone. iPad,
1: or- yeah. Just wave. It's going to be different. Of course, the whole future is going to be different. Robots are taking over.
0: We talked about commercials and concentration spans and that led us to talking about television, an earlier version of media addiction.
1: My main main interest in my TV is uh, I love the History Channel, the Discovery Channel, and my sports, especially the women. They are basketball players. The men, to me... I jump up and put the ball in the basket, hang on to loop. never done that. That's not basketball. You work That's showmanship. At, you work at a round boy, and this one comes in, you give her the ball, two points. Yeah, yeah. None of that hanging on the rim. Crazy <laughs> crap.
0: I asked about what his typical day looked like.
1: Well, I usually get up at 5.30 because I want to hear the mass on EWTN at 6 o'clock, and I I do. Then I get to either shave or shower or get ready. Uh, Wednesday is my day to go uh, to the grocery store. In between time, I do a little housework. Uh, It's not the best, but I'm not uh, 20 years old anymore either. (laughs) Then <laughs> if I get mail, I answer it by to check or correspond, whatever. Then I go to bed about, about 8.30, watch some sports. Mm-hmm. I like Fox News. That's about it.
0: We talked about politics a bit, but I wanted to end on a happy note. He's not a big fan of politics, but he does keep up with current events. So veering away from that hot topic, I asked, what made him happy?
1: Uh, that's a good one. Uh, I don't seem to have any sad days. In, you mean in the present time now or any time? I was always kind of happy, easy going. I just was always happy being outdoors. My father and I built a nice two-room bedroom cabin up there in Twin Lakes, and we enjoyed building it from the scratch or from the... From scratch, laid each cinder block right to the last shingle, got water piped in, had a nice place. Happy that I had a nice home. You do. I had a beautiful home. And I had a nice income. I could buy whatever I wanted, I uh, have good friends. Yes, it was pretty good.
0: And what were Chuck's plans for his 85th birthday? I have a feeling there might be a surprise gift or two coming his way. I have none. (laughs) What's your favorite dessert?
1: Favorite dessert? My mother used to be quite the baker. She could bake some nice cakes. She made uh, different kind of pies, like when the peaches the peaches were in uh, season. She made peach cobbler, mm-hmm. which was good. Mm-hmm. I love peach cobbler. Mm-hmm. And the pies, she didn't make many cookies. I would have to say, the, I like peach cobbler the best.
0: Okay, how about a, a favorite, strudel? I like. How about a favorite meal?
1: My favorite meal? Yeah. I like uh, a nice uh, New York strip. Steak with uh, maybe mashed potatoes and a nice green salad.
0: Not an elk steak. You oh yeah, I prefer a New York yeah. strip over an elk steak.
1: No, I'll take the elk steak. <laughs> but you know, there's a lot of times you don't have the elk. Right. So uh, uh, you uh, uh, say, well, no elk. Well, I gotta eat beef. <laughs>
0: Favorite color? Blue. That was my dad's favorite, too. I'll
1: be darned. Yeah. I used to have a blue suit, blue sport coats, blue slacks. Blue suede shoes? No, they were always black. (laughs) No blue (laughs) suede shoes? (laughs) Uh, No, I enjoy just the menagerie of everything. (laughs)
0: How about a little Marilyn Monroe birthday song? Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, birthday, dear Charles Joseph Anton Bost. Happy birthday. Day to you and many more. (laughs) Happy birthday, Chuck. We love you. You can find today's show notes with links and photos on my website at ledvillarell.com. And if you enjoyed this, I sure hope you did. And other episodes, please subscribe to Alligator Preserves wherever you get your podcasts. Hop on over to Alligator Preserves on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash alligator preserves and check out the rewards you will receive for becoming my patron. You can even just donate a a one-time offering. Say, here Laurel, here's coffee money for No, I don't drink coffee anymore. Here's tea money for a month. Anyway. Please join me next time when we'll talk about something completely different. Oh, I forgot to ask Chuck what kind of preserves he would spread on his toast. How could I have forgotten? I'm going to guess elk jelly. Yeah, it's not a thing yet, but maybe someone could get on that. Get on that, make it some elk. Elk meat jelly. <laughs> Take care, everybody. Bye. Alligator Preserves is hosted and produced by Laurel McCard with technical support provided by her husband, Mike McCard. Follow her on her website at leadvillelorel.com, where she writes about life, real, and imagined. If you enjoyed this podcast, you might enjoy her books. Find her work at amazon.com.